Okay, and we're live. Amy, thank you for join, joining me today. Uh, I'm looking forward to having this discussion with you. You know stuff about polar bears. I want to know stuff about polar bears. So, <clears throat> what can you give me a background on maybe yourself or like how you got interested in, uh, I don't know, animals, polar bears, sure. that kind of stuff? Um, I've always been interested in animals. I wanted to be uh, a vet actually growing up. But once I got to university, I, uh, I did zoology at the University of Guelph. I realized um, I didn't really want to do the whole vet field. I wanted to work with exotic animals and uh, do more of their like husbandry and daily care rather than just the medical side. So that's where I went into zookeeping. Awesome. When I, when I was younger, I remember like the teacher read us this book. It was about this polar bear, it was called Lars. And I think like that was like my like earliest introduction to like, yeah, I kind of like animals, kind of like polar bears. <clears throat> then I think like in 1996, they put the polar bear on the toonie. And it's just been yeah. like this constant like reinforcement since I was young to be like, like the polar bear. So <laughs> do you know why uh, polar bears like to drink Coke instead of Pepsi? <laughs> why they drink to drink coke uh those actually those uh coca-cola commercials have so many inaccuracies with it like there's often penguins in those commercials and penguins are from antarctica where polar bears are from the arctic so they're actually never coincide with each other so you're telling me not only do they not drink coke they also yeah. don't cohabitate with penguins well, yep oh my god this i is... mean i'm sure they would drink coke if you gave it to them it's sweet although think... a lot of a lot of times polar bears can be picky yeah I think I need to file a complaint with Coca-Cola in the advertising department. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't know. What, what's some of the interesting stuff you know about polar bears or you've come well, to know? Polar bears are to, like Canada's iconic species. 60% of polar bears actually are from Canada. Um, and they're a really good Arctic ambassador for climate change because they are considered like vulnerable or threatened. Um, so... As climate change continues, the polar bears um, could be lost, and then eventually it would affect us as well. Um, like polar bears rely on the sea ice to hunt, and once that sea ice is gone, they can't hunt anymore. But not only do they rely on the sea ice, we do as well. So the sea ice acts as the Earth's air conditioning unit. So our whole planet would just get overheated if all that sea ice was gone yeah so there's like a lot of like repercussions that can come from climate change mm -hmm. and i've been reading some like viral articles and i don't know the accuracy of them or not but uh, apparently now there's like interbreeding between grizzly bears and like polar bears yeah so some polar bears have been following the ice as it recedes and it's like it's getting closer up um towards the north pole i guess where others are spending more time on land and going like in areas where there's human habitation and you know they pose a risk to people um you know and oppose to themselves too right like they get hunted and shot if they go into human areas they can be seen in like dumps and stuff foraging yeah. for food i read um, a, sorry they, to interrupt you oh, okay <laughs> but uh i read this crazy article and like it was from 2019 that there was this town in russia and they had to declare a state of emergency because uh 
There was like sightings of over like 52 polar bears and they were basically considered like an invasion of the town. Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah, that's great. Well, Church, Churchill, Manitoba is like the polar bear capital of the world. That's where most of the polar bears are. And that town is like prepared for polar bear invasions all the time. Like nobody locks their doors. <laughs> um, there's like safe spots in case a polar bear enters the town. So it's like they're prepared for polar bears to enter at all times. Instead of like a twister, like a little underground like bunker, it's <laughs> yeah. like a like a underground polar bear bunker. Yeah, like they're prepared for it. So yeah, with them going in different territories, that's where they'll you know can intermix with grizzly bears, and they're very similar. Um, like they're very closely related. I they've heard all like cousins. Yeah, it's kind of like they've descended from the same. Like brown bear, I guess. Common ancestor. Yeah. Yeah. Same lineage. Um, <clears throat> there was an article going vir- viral recently, and um, it was discussing whether or not polar bears use tools. And in that article, it was basically saying like, um, the Inuit have reported these stories for years, and there's been like photos of like a male polar bear from named Gogo at the Japanese zoo who was seen like using tools to obtain suspended meat um, so the Inuit reported stories were like these polar bears would throw large rocks or boulders or like ice boulders off a cliff to kill a walrus to smash it to basically smash it in the head because apparently they're incredibly difficult for them to kill I don't know in your experience have you ever witnessed any kind of use of like tools or like some sort of like intelligence in that regard to um bears like I don't know. um i haven't really i guess so like so at the zoo we provide daily enrichment for the polar bears um this is to stimulate them mentally and physically and meet all their um emotional and natural needs um so we try to provide them with different objects um every day and there's different smells and there's different food. Like there's a whole variety of uh, enrichment, but we do give them different objects and I've seen polar bears use those objects and you know, they'll, they'll throw like, we'll give them a big plastic boomer ball and I've seen them like throw it. And, uh, there were these posts in one of the exhibits that, um, when we had anytime we had any cubs to make the exhibit kind of smaller and those posts were still there and i've seen you know one of our big males just bend that whole post right over and pull it out (laughs) so um so they're good at manipulating yeah like things objects and they can use the environment around them to sort of break these balls so yeah they also use their own bodies too so one of the main ways that a polar bear will hunt is they will kind of smash into the compacted snow in order to get seals that are you know made a den underneath as well as smash into the ice to create holes to catch seals and stuff that way yeah i was reading up on like how polar bears uh hunt in the wild and they literally just sniff around for little breathing holes that the seals are like hiding under in the snow yeah so then, oh sorry that's okay. <laughs> polar bears have like the best sense of smell like they can smell a seal like I think it's like a kilometer away and like under the ice, like I think two meters or something like that. And um, so these seals, they'll be swimming around catching fish and using breathing holes. And a polar bear will just lie there and wait for like hours or even days just waiting for this seal to pop up. 
Like, they're actually pretty lazy hunters. They just kind of lie there and wait and, like, ambush the seals once they come out. And uh, they're not very successful at hunting. I think it's less than 2% of every hunting attempt is successful for polar bear. So that's yeah. another huge strain on them. They would probably, like, I guess they're classified as, like, a marine animal. But I can't see yeah. them being good swimmers in comparison to, like, a seal. Like, they would just get lapped around. There's no way. So so not they're very good swimmers they're just not the fastest swimmer so they can reach up speeds up to six kilometers or six miles per hour um and they could swim i think the longest swim a polar bear's done was 10 days which oh. is crazy without stopping so um don't run into the water if a bear is <laughs> yeah like no they have bear. endurance yeah and their feet are designed as like rudders so that they can you know maneuver but yeah if unless it's like you know, a polar bear is sneaking up on a sleeping seal because sometimes they'll be basking in the sun and then the seal will jump in the water or the polar bear will jump after. Um, and if it's close enough, it might catch it, but it usually catches most of its prey by coming up through the breathing holes and they can use their claws to like reach in and grab the seal and pull it out. It's like a crazy game of whack-a-mole. Or um, they're, the best times for them to eat are in the spring when all the seals have their pups and that's when they go and crash their dens and like easy pickings for them yeah i, I like <clears throat> and so i guess there's some sort of concern for polar bears when you combine climate change with the fact that they're just not really that successful of hunters in general so i don't know like does the future look bleak for the polar bear or do we have do you know of any efforts that we're making to sort of better the polar bear's chances or well, there's lots of like individual things that we like to educate people on. Um, obviously, there's just lowering your carbon footprint, which I'm sure a lot of people do by just you know recycling and you know reducing the amount of water, electricity they use, using reusable bags and straws and coffee mugs, all those things. Um, but there's another campaign we often do is bundle up for polar bears. So in the winter, if you just you know lower your thermostat by two degrees and just put on an extra layer. If collectively everybody did that, that would have a huge effect and help them out. Um, but yeah, with global warming heading the way it is, the sea ice is just it's forming a lot later and melting a lot earlier, which is lowering the bear's window of opportunity for them to hunt. So it it is kind of bleak, like, if, if there's no ice. like I was hoping for hope. <laughs> yeah, like, they can eat other things, um, and they do. During the off-season, they've been known to eat, like, birds and, and fish if they can catch it, and uh, mussels they'll even eat berries and kelp um, but that won't necessarily sustain them um, a polar bear can be quite fast running so you think okay let's just say a polar bear chased down a caribou they for sure could chase down that caribou and catch that caribou but because they're so large in body mass and they have like such a thick four inch fat layer they will overheat very easily yeah, and the amount that's of a massive problem with <clears throat> sorry <laughs> I heard that's like a massive problem for polar bears is that it's overheating. It's not getting yes. too cold. It's like they actually get too hot. Yes, too they're uh, they get very hot quickly, and the amount of energy they would get from eating a caribou, let's say, they wouldn't gain that energy back. Like it would take too much energy to catch it and consume it. It's kind of like spending twenty dollars to get five dollars in return. It's just a waste of their time. Uh, so they don't have a very good like economic like transaction yeah. of like calories yeah that's why even with the seals they don't eat the whole seal they usually just eat the blubber because that's like quick easy high 
caloric value and then they move on and then it's actually really cool arctic foxes will follow polar bears and just eat the leftovers that the polar bears leave i was reading up on polar bear hair before this podcast because i remember hearing about it back in the day that it was somewhat remarkable and that it's not actually white that it's actually translucent yep and that it helps absorb like environmental heat and that's how like in part it starts like stays warm and then i did an even bigger deep dive on that and apparently there's been at least one study to show that they have like this uh their pores are structured and and arranged as like a a fractal at like the microscopic level with like ratio dimensions close to like the a mathematical figure known as like the the golden mean which is like the ideal dimension dimensional ratio for like an infinitely spiraling fractal so they have like this like crazy crazy like biologically like i don't know instituted way of like keeping heat and like staying warm and i wonder if we could like somehow one day like extrapolate that into like i don't know like armor or like clothing or something well, we often do this experiment with kids where you get two Ziploc bags and you fill it with like Crisco, like lard type thing. Yeah. And then you put it in a larger Ziploc bag and put your hand in between the two layers of Crisco. And if you just submerge that like gl- now gl- like gloved hand in ice water, it's crazy. You just won't feel it. And that's like their fat layer. So the effectiveness of fat. If you're yes. ever stranded in the wilderness, <laughs> in the north... Got the seal. Yeah. Rub it in your clothes and stay warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. Luke but there you go. Hide inside the tauntaun. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, they're first pretty pretty cool. Like sometimes uh, because it's their hair is also hollow, so dirt and debris often get stuck in it. So sometimes people are like, "Well, why are the bears like beigey brown?" And it's because they've been rolling in the mud and dirt, so it easily blocks um, that light from reflecting because mm. now that's their hair is kind of dirty and there's even like sometimes algae that grows inside that hair i heard about that's why they're like sometimes green you yeah. see them they're like green people are like why, why are the bears green are they painting them <laughs> yeah yeah no especially if they've been rolling in the grass they'll get like green grass stains all inside the hair and it doesn't come out <laughs> i'm always like amazed by nature and how it has like these little i don't know like the way things evolve to be like super like uh adapted to like their environment and that they've basically like a polar bear like so the the fra like the okay so like the structure of their pores the ratio is like 1.625 and then the golden ratio is like 1.618 like it's incredibly close to being like like a mathematical perfection like calculated just in their like uh the pores of their hairs yeah it's it's i don't know i don't know i I just get my mind gets blown by that stuff all the time when i'm like reading about it because i don't know nature just does things so beautifully and so like uh i don't know and it's like it's something we wouldn't even really be able to appreciate unless we had like a certain amount of knowledge or like understanding of uh the material world yeah yeah i don't know just thought i'd talk about that for a sec and polar bears, it's just crazy how they adapt. And it, often we get people asking, uh, people concerned about our bears, like, in the summer. Like, oh, you have a polar bear in the summer. But 
you know, polar bears live in Ontario. <laughs> There's actually 19 populations of polar bears, and one is in the northern areas of Ontario. So they naturally do adapt to all the different seasons. And their main way um, that they deal with the summer is they'll lose a lot of their fat layer. But because they're not eating that high caloric diet, they're, eat they're surviving off of either nothing or like, you know, grass and kelp. It's their internal temperature actually gets like lower and it helps them, you know, self-regulate and stuff. I recently did a podcast with a biologist from the University of Montreal and he's researching how hibernation... Uh, so like if we stay bedridden or, or like if we try to hibernate for like just three days, we'll, our muscles will start to atrophy. We'll lose like a ton of weight, like our muscles. But bears and like other mammals, they could do it for like months at a time and they'll barely lose anything. So he's trying to see what enzymes or probiotic, like, um, I don't know, microscopic organisms in like the gut and like stuff like that can be extrapolated from those animals and implemented in humans possibly to help us with like i don't know medical treatments and like space travel and that kind of stuff so i thought that was like there's so many things we can learn from wildlife from animals and hopefully somehow extrapolated from them to benefit us and i don't know some people say like like oh who cares about animals like let's focus on people people first there's so many issues with people but I always like kind of harken back to these arguments where it's like a lot of what we learn from how to benefit people comes from the natural world, comes from like animals and wildlife, watching them, learning about like the end special enzymes they have or something about their DNA and extrapolating it from that. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's lots of research going on for that, um, like studies that measure the different blood values and like animals and internal temperatures and stuff like that yeah um did you uh so they want to call the polar bear grizzly bear high hybrid a pizzly bear i think that yeah i think that's a stupid yeah. name i think <laughs> i think we should come up with a better one but i don't know what a better one would be um i think goler bear sounds better but i don't I know I think I've seen Growler Bear with the GR. Growler Bear. That's way Growler. better. Growler. Yeah. I'm down with Growler Bear. <laughs> I saw Pizzly online and I was like, come on, man. You can't go with Pizzly. Pizzly's not good. But Growler, I'm down with Growler. I'm yeah. Glad. Well, and it, it might end up being more bear hybrids if polar bears are kind of moving away from that. Yeah, I think, like as they get if they are getting pushed out from their natural like their eco, like ecological niche i think a part of that adaptation since they seem to be pretty good at adapting but maybe not so quickly but yeah. i guess part of that adaption would be like okay i guess we got to kind of interbreed now to sort of get more of the qualities of the brown bear so i guess yeah. like salmon hunting like foraging i um, like at the zoo, we don't feed our bears seals. <laughs> we do feed them like <laughs> like so the they <laughs> like they can survive survive off of other things. It's just them catching those without wasting energy. So if over time polar bears kind of adapted to the warmer weather, um, and their their you know anatomy changed, even if it's just with interbreeding breeding with uh, grizzly bears, then they could adapt to eating other things. 
But like you said, it's not like going to be a quick process. Like polar bears are actually doing okay in the wild. Like there's lots. There's about twenty six thousand in the wild, but they're listed as vulnerable because that could just go from that high number to like nothing right away. Takes like it's one bad winter. Really. Yeah, it's kind of like having. Um, Let's just say you had 100 people in a room. Okay, that's a lot of people in that room. But then all of a sudden you took all the oxygen out of that room. All of a sudden you go from 100 to none really quickly. <laughs> so you, you remove the sea ice and then gone. Yeah. I guess like they're kind of evolving on their own if you think about like If the ice is getting less and less, then the only polar bears that are surviving year to year are going to be the ones that are the best at dealing and coping with it so through breeding and the dying off of the ones that aren't successful at adapting you're going to kind of get these polar bears that are the ones that survive are going to be the ones that are the most adaptable then those are the ones that are going to pass on their genes and then hopefully those offspring although not necessarily will will have the genes of the survivors does that make sense i don't know i guess so it's 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 like a skill, their hunting skill. They learn that from their mother. And if um, their mother doesn't teach them, then that's how they're, they won't succeed. And the thing with polar bears is they actually have their cubs during hunting season. So that female has to have enough fat on her to sustain her life as well as her cubs in a den while skipping that hunting season. So it's such a strain on them that, you know... If that mother doesn't make it, then she can't, you know, train her cubs to hunt successfully. I've heard that the female polar bears are the far better hunters out of the two, out of the, between the male and female. It, oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe it has to do with raising young and stuff like that. But when yeah. it comes to, like, signs of intelligence, apparently, yeah. like, the mothers are way better. If they, like, pretend to be asleep out on open water to, like lure seals closer they'll i don't know a bunch of stuff like that well Um, they also are about half the size of a male so they'll need less i guess calories to sustain themselves and less need to hunt i guess but um i've worked for more than themselves yeah that's true but i've worked with males and females um different ages so it's kind of hard just to compare males versus females but um the females i worked with are a lot older but they, uh, any type of training that we do with them, the females are really quick to learn. They're, they're very smart. Can, can I ask you about um, sort of like emotional intelligence of an animal or like at least the perceived emotional intelligence of an animal? So I watched a video and I'm pro- you've probably seen these before where there's like people recording like a polar bear walking onto their property or close to like a residential area. Someone will have their dog on a leash or their dog will be outside. It'll just be like running around. The bear will begin to like stalk the dog like it's prey, but then for whatever reason, the dog doesn't treat the polar bear like it's like an enemy. It'll begin to play with it. And then you can watch the polar bear go from like a stalking defensive stance to sort of like a playful engaging like behavior. And when I watch that kind of video, I think to myself, how much of like the bear's instinct versus it's like, I don't know what that other part of it would be probably either another instinct or maybe there is some level of like emotion in an animal or maybe there's some sort of like biological drive in that animal to play 
but um i don't know it's weird how like I, when i watched that i thought okay so the polar bear initially was treating that like that dog as it was like an enemy or it was prey and then when the dog displayed signs of i'm not a threat then the polar bear began to behave similar to the dog and i don't know like do you have you seen stuff that's similar to that before uh, I've seen lots of the younger bears play, uh, and the older ones. Like, there's lots of play with the polar bears. Um, a lot of it is practice for, like, hunting. So a lot of male polar bears will will wrestle and spar with each other, and that's where they kind of clash their teeth together. And, like, when you're listening to the bears, and it's it's quiet. Like, it's like you can see them. You, you'd think it'd be very loud, but they play very quietly. But that's kind of signals to us that they're just playing. It's not a, an aggressive thing. And that's just practicing for when they're bigger and they need to fight another male in order to win a female type thing. Um, so there's a lot of practice play. And I, like I've seen, I've seen our bears with um, like frozen ice and they'll, pl they'll almost play uh, seal versus bear where one bear will be walking along the ice of the pool and the other bear will be swimming underneath. And the one on the ice tries to catch the one that pokes its head up through the holes like a seal would, which is kind of a play behavior. They're yeah. reenacting um, hunting a seal type thing. Play but for a purpose. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I was kind of hoping that we would have some sort of like, I don't know. I guess animals are much more simpler than we like to believe they are. Sometimes we like to attribute uh, human characteristics to them when... It's not exactly yes. the truth. And that's a lot of issues people think a lot of animals have human thoughts and emotions when, you know, they're not. Like, reptiles, for example. Be, oh, it's in such a small space, it's probably so sad. But a lot of reptiles get stressed if you put them in too large of a, an area. They almost feel the opposite of con uh, claustrophobic. They need to have that tight, compact area. But a lot of, yeah, a lot of people put human emotions on animals when like we don't actually have proof that they have similar functioning brains yes. or that their brains are similar to ours or that they've actually developed at a an emotional level but uh yeah reptiles i don't know and insects you could go even further or microscopic yeah. animals like i feel like giraffes are probably the happiest animals in captivity <laughs> like they're just like there's always like that joke that uh some people come up with it's like oh a day without uh predators like what a what a lovely existence and they just like frolic yeah. around like they're basically like giant llamas i don't know yeah. the way i look at them like i love I've, I've i've heard that they're not the quickest at training a lot of hoofstock are not very quick at training it's this very slow process of gradually training them a behavior Versus carnivores are pretty quick. Like, the polar bears are similar to, like, training your dog. So um, just, like, high food incentive? Yes, they're very food-motivated. Yeah. You, have you ever seen, like, 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 have they ever, like, been, like, a high toy incentive? Like, for a ball or something? Um, have you ever seen that in bears or, like, large predators? Like, there's toys that are, like, their favorite toys, but um, not necessarily used in training. Yeah, because, like, some dogs, like, they'll just inherently love balls. Like, you, you yeah. just show them a ball, they'll, they'll know what it is, like, instinctively. Like, I want that. That's fun as heck. And then they'll, like, chase it. They'll bring it back to you. Yeah. I don't know. Has there been any sort of, like, have you witnessed any kind of behavior like that ever where these animals have, like, this weird, I don't know, 
like incentive for an object? Or is it just favorite toys is the extent of it? I think it's just favorite toys. We have one bear that will retrieve toys and bring them into the house. <laughs> so, like, like, the doors are big enough for a polar bear, obviously, to go in and out. But some of the toys are very awkward for them to get through. And they just, they'll just bring this huge barrel and uh, bring it in through the doors. There's sometimes where toys go missing for, like, for a while. And they're, like, at the bottom of the pool. And then the next day... There it is inside the house. The bear brought it in. Oh, what what do you think the purpose of that is? If you had to speculate, um, I don't know. I guess just something to do. You know, they're like they interact with the different toys in so many different ways. Um, it could be just like storing it to play with later, or I don't know. It's just you know mentally. Um, it's a mental challenge for them. Get this large object through this like small hole. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder, like, I wonder if it's maybe the sense on it. They like it, maybe like that. I, I was reading, like, a dog's nose is, like, like, incre- like, a lot more powerful than ours. But then a bear's is, like, ten times what a dog's is. So I wonder if they're, like, smelling. Who knows what they're smelling on that ball? And, like, that's kind of what they're, yeah. like, maybe that's what they're attracted to on it. Like, the, uh. And then there's something about having different smells that apparently increases like brain complexity, at least in canines. So maybe that's relevant to dogs as well, polar bears as well. I don't know. Do you know anything about that? Um, I don't know about their complexity. Like, I know that smell is a huge thing for them. Um, like any time, like they can tell what you have for food before you even bring it near them. Like, we have two bears that their favorite thing is rabbits. And you could have a bucket with a rabbit in it, and they know. Like, they just get so excited. And we haven't even entered their, like, the room yet. <laughs> well, will they smell around for, like, like, uh, like, say, like, uh, marking? Like, a uh, like a, like a wolf or a dog or, like, a large cat would? Like... Yeah, um, one of the most toughest times, I guess, are just during breeding season. Because uh, the males can smell the females, and if we aren't putting them together for breeding, they like a bear could smell in the wild a female like kilometers away. Yeah. So when a female's cycling, that bear will smell it, and like they'll go and they'll smell like the urine of the female, and you know they'll walk right past their food in order to go and smell the smells from another bear. Amazing. Like. I wonder if they have, like, that's basically a superpower, the way that their nose is smell. Yeah. They're probably smelling things in ways that um, we can't even perceive or, like, imagine. They're probably, like, let's, if you look at how many, what is it, like, neurons they have for, like, smell, like, receptors in their nose and stuff like that. Like, I've read that they can basically associate time to scent they know like when they're smelling something in the air they can basically determine it was this many days ago that this animal walked by or that this female came through here and then they can like track on scent based on like a time scale whereas like we can't do anything near that like we smell something we just think of it as being like immediately present right yeah. but um i guess i don't know I'm, I'm always fascinated by like animals and like 
we don't really know for sure, right? But this is kind of just like what the uh, the studies seem to suggest is that these animals have like this like immense capability of uh, smelling things at a degree far beyond our own. And then you look at animals like hawks with the the eyesight, like they're they make our eyes look like garbage in comparison. They can pick out like the incredibly small movement from I don't know how many feet up in the air, but we wouldn't even be able to like differentiate it. And they can pinpoint on it and they can find like a fish swimming all, like near the surface of the water and dive down and strike and that's something we we would just look at the, the water and just be like it just looks like all water to me i can't see anything yeah i'm surprised like we haven't evolved to have like all of our senses amazing you know not just all of our senses at like normal or could you imagine if we had people like with like superhuman sight, smell, like we'd be looking at, we'd probably be able to see colors that don't even exist yet. We'd be yeah. looking at like infrared, like ultraviolet. We'd be seeing on like a thermal scale probably. I, I mean, there's some work being done with uh, genetic engineering with like, uh, like CRISPR and stuff like that. I wonder if like in a hundred, 200 years from now, we'll start, be ha we'll start having humans that have basically peak human abilities and maybe beyond and i mean if you have if you were going to have a kid in the future and they were like well do you want your child to be born with peak human strength do you want it to have peak human eyesight you know scent taste like that's another thing like taste like taste could probably be like there's probably so many things out there that actually taste good but we taste it differently um, yeah well, people who are like wine connoisseurs, they can smell different or taste the different flavors of wine and like isn't that crazy? Minute notes of flavor or whatever. Yeah. So, I, like, people are always made so differently. Like, we can just look at each other and be yeah. like, "Oh, that person's taller. That person can run a lot faster than me. That person can jump higher than me." Like, all of those traits are very like apparent. But what we sometimes fail to realize is like, like our palate could be very different in the same way. Or like yeah. how we hear things like I, I think like talented musicians or people who are very good at like synthesizing music I feel like they probably hear things differently than I do because I feel like when I hear something I can't really make it sound good if I want to because I'm like I don't know it just sounds like a sound to me but then some people are like well you can't hear like that subtle like change in like tone or this and that I'm like no and then but they can so I'm thinking they must have like a whole kind of different ear and then there's people that can handle spicy there's people that like I mean, there's like a choir case as well. So, I don't like, and then there's eyesight, obviously. That one's a little bit more obvious. People, you can just say, hey, you can't see that. And people don't know. It's like, well, what the heck? Like, I can see that perfectly. Yeah. So, uh, I actually don't have a sense of smell, so I'm the opposite of polar bears. I was just born without one, so I've never been able to smell anything in my life. Is that because you have no, like, uh, like receptors in your nose? Or is that because of, like, a break somewhere or... Um, I might be due to like seasonal allergies that I had as a kid. When I got my wisdom teeth out, I saw an x-ray of like my skull and it's like up at the top of my nose. It's a little off. Like I could never use a neti pot. Like, you know, the, the sinus clearing okay. pot that yeah. you pour, like that would never work for me. So I don't know. But like my, my taste buds work. Because a lot of people, like, a lot of time it's... Yeah, if you plug your nose, you can't taste it. Yeah. yeah, so I still can, but I think it's just because 
like my taste buds work, like I taste salty, bitter, sweet, sour, but I have a hard time distinguishing between flavors because I think a lot of times the different flavors are just people smelling it as they eat it. So like if I were to eat Skittles, a, a Skittle wouldn't be like, oh, this one tastes like lemon. It just, I could taste different sugar levels and sweetness or sourness, but not necessarily like this doesn't taste like strawberries to me like flavor yeah but artificial flavors don't really taste like anything they just call them that it tastes like that yeah like a ketchup chip that doesn't taste like ketchup like has anyone ever ate a ketchup chip and then ate ketchup they're completely different but then there's also like i don't know like strawberry flavored ice cream i've never felt like that tasted like strawberries i don't even feel like strawberries taste like anything i eat them they're kind of just like i don't know it's like there's no flavor to it yeah, I'm the same. Like, if I eat something, I can't be like, oh, this has coriander in it. Like, I don't know. I could just be like, I like the taste of this, but I can't distinguish, like, what ingredients are in it. Could you imagine if you got COVID and it gave you your sense of smell back? <laughs> Everybody be- asked, asked me that if when, when I was preg- like pregnant. Do you get a smell back again? But I never did. No. Huh. Interesting. It's like... I don't know, some people are colorblind, and not necessarily to all colors, it's just that they register colors differently. It's like yeah. they see greens as pinks and stuff like that. But then, like, they're able to, like, know that certain things wouldn't be colored a certain way, so then they compensate by just kind of rationalizing the color, like, spectrum. Yeah. I knew this guy that did that, too, and he was able to kind of, like, get through life. He's like, yeah, I'm colorblind, but I know, like, that color there wouldn't be red. It's like, why would that be red? So I know it's red instead of, like, whatever color my brain would tell me it is. And he's like, and then sometimes, like, the colors would kind of shift. Like, you'd be able to see what it is, but then it's like, it kind of, like, goes between certain colors, and then it's just, like, confused, and he, I don't know. It's weird how, like, uh, we can see reality these ways. It's like, or perceive it through our senses. It's just Uh like, what is real? It's like, what's real for you? That's your reality. Like, yeah i wonder too like what i see is red if that's the same as what you see is red yeah so there's like i saw this study where it was like with people who could see they were called like super differentiators i think that's what they were called and they could literally like because you know how there's like a big spectrum of colors where they slowly fade into different colors but if it was the only change by like point of a percent you really wouldn't be able to discern whether it was actually any different from the color beside it by if it was only by like a minuscule point that it changed but there's people out there and they've done like tests on them like these little clinical trials and stuff like that where they're able to basically demonstrate that they they can see the differentiation in color to like a very small scale so i don't know even that is like remarkable like in terms of like like then there's like people with like super memories they can like remember everything that photographic memories yeah and because the average bear or person doesn't have it like we just assume like it probably doesn't exist but it's like well you know like maybe it does like they, they say there's people that they say there's like two types of people there's people that have like internal monologue who have discussions with themselves and think of things and then there's people that don't have internal monologue and they just use like kind of like abstract ideas or concepts to like convey thoughts to themselves but then there was people that then there's like also people that suggested there's a third one for people that are like super intelligent 
and they're able to like associate numbers with like colors or something or like scent and they're that's how they're able to like do like extremely difficult like math equations and that they're just able to sort of like i don't know i can't even describe it because i didn't read too much into it but for those that are interested you can look it up there's just like i don't know the human mind is crazy and i wonder like how many animals in the animal kingdom parallel that like is there like special animals out there that are just like super predators that i don't know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> going on a bit of a rant off topic, yeah <laughs> but, <laughs> um yeah so i don't know how much how much more time do you have with uh, me or do you think about wrapping it up soon or what that's up to you you got any, do you have any uh, questions do you have any other uh points do you'd like to mention or talk about or little interesting I don't know. factoids or well, i have lots of random polymer facts i guess bust them but... out let's hear them speed round Trivia. Um, I'm just trying to think what else what we haven't really talked about um, what about polar bear's teeth uh, they're very large <laughs> <laughs> very, very strong jaws um, yeah just like a, a dog but I guess ten times the size like they're massive. Would definitely not want to get bit by one. Um, what would you like to see done for polar bears in the future? Uh, it'd be amazing if, as human beings, we could stop and reverse the effects of climate change. You know, I don't like it's, know if that's going to happen. Oh, I don't think so either. Like it's, I think everyone's making small efforts, but like you know, by you know, you using a, a, a metal straw instead of a plastic straw, you know, when you go out for dinner, that's not going to make overall a huge change. I think it's like the big industries that need to make a change. And um, like just airplanes are a huge contribution to global warming and stuff. And I think, I think COVID maybe for the planet was excellent uh, when all the flights got stopped and, you now, know, everyone stayed home. No one was driving. Post-COVID, now it's gas prices that keep everybody I, home. <laughs> yeah, but, but maybe that's going to shift everyone to be buying electric cars eventually, right? Like, if gas prices are as crazy as they are. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I got takeout the other day, and it was all uh, compostable. Everything was compostable that, like, my takeout came in. And I was like, well, that's cool. And I think more companies should be doing that, even if it costs, you know, an extra dollar for your takeout, but have it all you know, not in plastic. I want to see, I think there should, I think there should be a real motivation for like governments and like the economy to push towards facing out plastic as much yeah. as possible. So like when we buy milk, a lot of the times in Canada it comes, or at least in Ontario and probably Eastern Canada, it's like in bags. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's the best way to store food. And I don't, I think we should probably move back towards glass. I think, there bring was, back the milkman <laughs> yeah like i get my milk from like a local farm and they put it in glass bottles okay. personally i think it tastes better because it has a cap so it's not just like open air exposed in the fridge like it is in the bags i guess if you wanted to put a clip on it or something you could but it's like i don't know it's always constantly sealed but um 
I don't know. There's like there, there's like a lot of research out there. Like they recently came out and said like plastic was super toxic. Like they don't want it to be like they're finding microplastics. So as it breaks down, as it breaks down, as plastic breaks down, you know, it degrades. It gets into like these things called microplastics. Our bodies absorb it. They're seeing they just recently had the first ever evidence of like newborns with like, you know, microplastic like phosphates in their bloodstream what does that mean for us you know and then they look at the research of like the rise of like plastics in sort of like our food and stuff like that like through like the industrial evolution uh revolution the use of plastics and polymers we've seen a decrease in sperm counts in people we've seen like smaller taints in males um you know there's been a bunch of like ecological studies done on like microplastics in the environment that haven't shown very positive things for reproduction so for me some people correlate those things to being like maybe we could even extrapolate that even further to like cancers and stuff like that i don't know that there's been studies on that or not but um when you look at plastic as a general and all these kind of correlations people are building through their studies it's like it is super toxic it is a very big detriment like uh not even that just like a bpa like that was a big buzzword for a while it's like oh does this bottle contain bpa and it says it doesn't but who knows like maybe these like one-time reusable plastics do because like the average water bottle you use it doesn't say bpa free on it for the most part um and bpa is super bad because it acts as like a hormone in like the human body it acts as like a estrogen in women so people are thinking like maybe the rise in breast cancer could be from two things it could be that we're checking for it more often therefore catching it before it gets bad or two that these like we have like this extra amount of estrogen sort of like replacement like hormones in our body you know mm-hmm. maybe that's like a sign for like the reason for why males have like lower sperm counts you know that kind of thing i don't know i'm not a scientist or a biologist but i read a lot and i'm interested in this kind of stuff but i see that plastic isn't just bad for the environment it's also bad for us so. Yeah, I've heard too it getting in fish and stuff, and we eat it. It's just it's crazy because there's no need for it. It's not like we don't have any other alternatives. We do. It's just it's more expensive, and I think that if it was like a government mandate just to get rid of plastics, we'd have no choice but to use alternatives, right? Like yeah. right now it's a choice, but you know, like why why does milk have to come in a bag when? it has in the past come in glass, but it's more expensive because then you think you got to pay the milk band to come and collect it and, and wash those bottles and da 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 da. But if those are the only options, then that's just what we would do. We'd, we'd have to adapt to that new way. The grocery store sells my bottles with a $2 deposit, but you can return it. Yeah. So it's sort of like you're the milkman, but yeah, like, I don't know. So Canada recently did make it like, so that toxic was considered or plastic was considered toxic. And then when I heard that, I was like, oh, is this the beginning of a giant shift? So I thought we're probably going to see a lot more glass instead of plastic. But then it turns out it's just kind of directed towards like plastic bags and straws and like, you know, lids on items and stuff like that. And then you started seeing a lot of companies using paper straws and that sort of thing. But I was like, well, if it's toxic, you've designated it as toxic but you're still permitting its use even if it's like if it's not a single use type of plastic in like our food and like the whole like if you look at how much food is stored in plastic like really how like 
how, how often is that plastic being heat like warmed up and cooled and like is yeah. it breaking down into some way even just over time is the food absorbing some of these phosphates or something like that and is it getting into us and i don't know like and it's so unnecessary i've seen oranges with plastic on it and it's like oranges have a natural plastic covering to it like it's skin you yeah, know that like, prevents that keeps the fruit safe this might sound hippy dippity but like you know we could use things like hemp uh yeah. there is like burlap we do have like i don't know there's a ton of stuff that we could use to replace plastic that's probably a whole lot healthier uh yeah i don't know i i personally want to see like a war on plastic sort of like initiative from like our governments and stuff like that because there's a lot of evidence and it's compiling and i think they know about it they're aware of it but they just don't the the alarms haven't really sounded on it because they have been making like they've been striving to sort of phase it out in little ways and they've been saying it's bad for the environment but they haven't really touched on the fact that it's actually bad for us like that's one of the things I f and i feel like once the the glass fills enough to pour over into like us then all of a sudden people will be like oh no like we got gotta we gotta get rid of plastics asap but there is a lot of concern economically because it's like okay you have all these people working at plastic factories you have all these businesses you can't obviously let these people just one day all of a sudden be unemployed so you have to like do like small integration put funding into like helping these factories and stuff transition from maybe being a plastic manufacturer to a glass manufacturer all those sort of things right so i don't know i don't want to like i don't know like screw people over at the same time as like trying to benefit the greater good of humanity but we there should be some sort of collaborative effort to do both of those things i don't know yeah but yeah like we do still need to get there still needs to be packaging for things so there like you said it would create a whole new industry of different items i think it's just they'd be more expensive than plastic plastic's cheap but i think you just need to have no other choice but to spend the extra money kind of like gas we don't have a choice but to pay what gas prices are the only other choice is i guess get an electric vehicle but like i myself have no other choice but to pay the crazy amounts of gas so i think if and sometimes you go to stores that don't even have plastic bags anymore they yeah. just have the reusable bags so i either have to force myself to bring remember to bring a reusable bag or i have to buy a reusable bag but it's like maybe three dollars instead of the five cent plastic bag but you know that's on me to remember to bring a reusable bag instead yeah i think over time um this expense issue will sort itself out because um once the industry's there and it's like lucrative and they can make things in bulk you can then provide things yeah. to be cheaper i feel like plastic because here's here's the nitty-gritty with plastic it takes a lot of oil to make plastic like if you look at lego collections and lego sets those things are ungodly expensive part of the reason lego says they're so expensive probably beyond marketing is also it takes like a, <clears throat> a lot of oil to make that type of plastic so yeah. i don't know like if you want to look at like fossil fuels and stuff like that as well plastic does use it and uh i don't know i think we should get more towards like biodegradable type of stuff like i hate i hate talking about hemp because it's such like a, people think hemp is like the like be all end all like miracle savior of like everything but it does actually have like a lot of like 
industrial purposes it could be used for, but there's just no. some, like a resentment towards it, I guess, because of its association with like marijuana to some degree. Yeah. But I mean, if you saw oranges kept in like a burlap bag or like a loose like kind of burlap or like a hemp sort of like net, like it is like the plastic net, you'd be like, that's a thousand times better than the plastic. Yeah. And, I mean, you could just throw that in the compost with the whatever. But, uh, well, even just compostable bags, like people buy them in order to put their food scraps in it. But what if at the grocery store, instead of a plastic bag to put your apples in, it's a decomposable bag, you know? And then yeah. you can use that bag at home for your food scraps rather than buying a box of decomposable bags. Yeah, it's all plastic. Everything's plastic. So I'm, I'm currently on mat leave right now with my third kid, and we're doing cloth diapers this time. And I'm kicking myself that I never did it with my other children because, like, what every... what grandparents did. Yeah, and... Every single diaper that was created is still currently on our planet. So if you think of like how many diapers are currently still on our planet right now, that because it takes 500 years for them to decompose. There's just like a bunch of gnarly bears in like a garbage (laughs) dump somewhere just having a feast on these. (laughs) So gross. (laughs) Garbage bears. But yeah, it. uh, I had to sell my husband on it on the cloth diapers. That's a hard sell. But uh, no, he's. He doesn't seem to mind it. It's like once you get the routine down, like you're doing with a, a newborn, you're doing laundry every day anyways. You're constantly getting peed on or spit yeah. up on and you just throw the diapers in and there you always have diapers and it's, it's actually works out to be cheaper. Yeah, I think we we paid like $400 up front cost, which is a lot of money, but you know, these diapers will be good until she's uh, potty trained. So that's like, there's our cost of diapers and you never have to run out to the store because you're forgetting some or anything. Here's the crazy thing. Our grandparents raised our parents on those types of diapers, and it was yeah. only like our generation that was raised on them. Like we yeah. like to think they always existed. Like no, these are they're like a relatively new thing. Like we haven't even really figured out if they're good or not yet. Like it yeah. hasn't really gone through the trials of like human ingenuity. Well, a lot of people have been commenting on, like, my daughter, and they're like, oh, well, look at, it's so big, and it makes her legs sprawled out. Um, Is that, is she going to be able to walk and crawl at the right, you know, meet all her milestones at the right time in her life? And it's like, but that's how humans have been existing off cloth diapers for years. And maybe there's going to be issues with people doing uh, disposable diapers with where their hips lie. Because some babies that are prone to hip dysplasia, they actually get put in like a cast that puts them in that shape, like that same M shape as like a cloth diaper does. So it's actually maybe better for the baby's development. And who knows, like what our generation, when we get older, if we're going to have a lot more hip problems and stuff because... I believe it. You know? I believe it. We grew up I like feel that. like I'm only in my 30s and I'm already feeling like everything's breaking down. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to like... Like, it was the diapers my parents used. Yeah. <laughs> There's been no Maybe. long-term stu- studies on these diapers. Yeah. And they're still on this planet, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. The plastics, they're probably a problem. Yeah. Whatever they're made of, it's not good. It's They're going to stick around for a long time. It's, it's amazing how we can make a diaper that lasts forever, but we can't make a car that lasts longer than seven years. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like it's only when it's to like we have to like pay money that 
it's like, yeah, we can make this last forever, yeah. but we're not going to. But it's just, we live in such a disposable society. Like, right now our oven is broken. Like, and our first thing is like, oh, let's go get a new oven. And it's like, it's just, back in the day, people just got, oh, your oven's broken? You call the oven repairman. And yeah. now it's just like, oh, it's let's just get a new one. And it's like, that, I think all that industry needs to come back. Like, people, you have to have more repair shops rather than, let's just buy new, cheap stuff that only lasts. 10 years or yeah whatever. there's been an intelligence behind getting rid of that though so yeah. companies will make things let's say there's a part on the oven it's like like call it like the heating element or something now you would think across the bar all ovens would have the same sort of heating element it's like no that's not the case in fact this company's going to make one that's specific to their brand and to different models and then every company's going to do that and then it's like oh you want to buy that part well, you can't buy that part generically. You can only buy it from us because we own the patent on it. And if you want to buy it, we're going to charge you 300 bucks. Oh, 300 bucks? You might as well just buy a new oven. Yeah. Like, there's stuff like that that I feel like this is where capitalism has kind of gone wrong. But, I mean, the opportunity with capitalism is that it can people can come in and introduce things that are better. And... Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that's one of the avenues I have to go down as a way of bringing back the repairman or being able to just like do it yourself. It's like, oh, my radio stopped working. Like I remember we used to go to Radio Shack back in the day. If you had something that was like kind of like like a Walkman or something, it stopped working. It was like, I'm not buying a new one. I'm going to get it fixed. And they would fix it for like 14 bucks or something. You wouldn't need to buy a new one. Yeah. And nowadays, because they would have like every part in the store, right? They would just be like, oh yeah, like this is typical of like this kind of device. But now it's like, there's so many different parts for that do the exact same thing. It's like, oh, we don't have it in stock. We have to order it, that kind of thing. And that's super annoying. And we're seeing a really big downfall with that, with the uh, supply chain, especially in vehicles. It's like, I needed a part for my car not too long ago. And it, the only place that had one in North America was like in Texas. Like I couldn't, oh, couldn't, wow. lo couldn't locate a part in Canada. I was just like, this is, this is absurd. Like you're, you're telling me there isn't like, a factory somewhere in this country that could just like have a mold for this thing and just like pour the raw material together and make the part it's like no no <laughs> that yeah. does like it's it's like literally we cannot make it here if we had zero so you have to buy a whole new car now <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i want to like, yeah but yeah yeah there's tons of stuff i don't know anyway we've done about an hour now okay do, do you want to wrap it up sure well, thank you for coming on and doing this conversation with me. It was thanks for having me. Fun to chat about the polar bears. It was fun to get a little bit of knowledge on climate change and the sort. Um, yeah. Any uh, closing words or statements or anything like that? If everybody could just change the thermostat at one or two degrees. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> ads everywhere that. are pulling their yeah. ears out at that yeah. statement they're like if it goes down one degree more <laughs> yeah no it's it and it, it'll help your wallets too because then you'll be paying less just uh, bundle up at home we need we need to switch to uh electric uh hvac systems yeah <laughs> that'll help anyway thank you amy for doing this right, i well, really appreciate you doing taking time no problem no problem right. thanks for having me <laughs> all right cheers okay bye, bye.